want to preach a second message as I leave um, uh, on sabbatical about this value of ours, release. Um, some of these messages that I've been giving you, uh, the evangelism messages, um, this series on release. When I come back in the spring, we're going to spend some time talking about scripture and some time talking about healing. Um, all of these things are foundational for us at the Gospel Tab and in our network um, in being the movement that God has called us to be. There is a sense in which when I give you this kind of teaching from the scriptures, it's apostolic teaching. And by that, I mean a number of things. Number one, that it's rooted in the original foundation of the church that was given to us by the um, apostles and prophets, and it's on their foundation that the church is built throughout the ages. It's foundational for us um, as a network, foundational for us at the Gospel Tab. It defines our culture and our relationships with each other. Um, and hopefully it's teaching that is transferable. One thing that marks apostolic teaching is that it's transferable teaching. And we know this because we are the beneficiaries of teaching that has been transferred from generation to generation for 2,000 years as God spoke through the apostles and the prophets. And so um, uh, it's, it's uh, teaching that continues to multiply, that continues to transfer itself. And it's the kind of teaching that multiplying movements need, and that's continuing to be what God shapes us into, uh, because we are now on the verge of multiplying into other communities, multiplying regionally. And by the way, more than I could share there, but um, as I'm heading into this season of sabbatical, I do want to tell you, as you have released me to step into this you know, regional role, uh, we are beginning to see God move and I am just certain that when I come back, uh, we are going to see some really tangible things happen. It feels like rather quickly. Um, but already, friends, the supernatural stuff has started. Um, I have stories just in the last few weeks of things that God is doing and ways that he's speaking to people, like we always say around here, just stuff that we could never make up. <laughs> um, and so that stuff is happening, and when we start to see signs and wonders it's uh, evidence of apostolic movement that God is doing something and uh, we just chase what he's doing in the world. Um, and so thank you for releasing me to that, the deposit you're making. It's gonna mean something for other communities. So uh, we're gonna talk a little bit about, about this release. Uh, we're gonna be in Acts 13, verses one through three. Um, just to remind you, a couple years ago, we decided as a network at the Gospel Tab uh, to make an attempt to theologically articulate uh, what it was that God was doing among us. And we did this by writing up these values of ours. They're painted on the wall out here on the wood planks in the, in the foyer. Um, you can also find them on the Gospel Tab's website, and when the network site goes live, it will soon, um, then you'll see these values on the network site too. Um, but these for us was a way for us to to try to put into writing things that we were already saying to each other as a family on mission, um, because these were things that God was imparting to us. Um, on the website, you can see there's just a huge list of verses connected to these values. For us, these were rooted in the scripture, and they were aspirational. For us, we were not saying that we are all of these things. We were saying this is what we want to be. This is where we are headed. And so if you're part of our family on mission, you are headed with us to these same places. 
One of those values for us is release. And there's a bunch of scripture passages that we attach to this value. Um, one is the one we're going to read today in Acts 13. But let's just remind ourselves of how we articulate this at the Gospel tab, and then we're going to read this passage together. So it says this in the release value. Organized structures should serve the mission rather than limit the organic movement God creates. We trust that Jesus is head of his church, so we trust him to ultimately lead his people. We prefer shared leadership and influence above celebrity personalities and concentrated power. Biblical leadership serves and empowers rather than controls or keeps people dependent. It is our joy to release new leaders and ministries to God's missional purpose, even if it costs us. We give away our best, including our best leaders. I said last week, that last line, or two weeks ago, we give away our best, including our best leaders, was a prayer that God deposited into our hearts years ago. And the more we've prayed that, the more God answers it, and the more leaders he brings. This is how it works in the kingdom. The more radically you give yourself away, uh, the more God gives. Now, I said two weeks ago, we looked at Jesus' teaching saying that in the kingdom, servants are the greatest of all, um, and uh, that Jesus said, you know, in the world, in empire, the Gentiles lord it over each other. This is the, the mode of leadership is really control or power. And we were saying that Jesus says, not so with you. That is not what it can be like in the kingdom of God. That is not what leadership can look like. Um, I mentioned, I've been suspicious over the years that we have not taken that seriously as the people of God in many segments of the church. Um, instead, we are dependent on forms of leadership that are dependent on control and power. And we try to make these softer as a way to fit what Jesus was teaching. We talk about servanthood. We talk about, maybe it's a nicer version, but that's not, Jesus was not telling us to take what the world does and make it nicer. He says, the Gentiles lord it over them, not so with you. And then he invites us to this radical challenge to really believe that servants and children are greatest in the kingdom. That's what Jesus says in that passage. And if we take that literally, if we believe that, then it is going to dismantle some of what we have inherited and understand about leadership or how the kingdom of God should work or how the church should work. Um, and, and this is what the kingdom of God does. You should know there's a function of the kingdom that builds things up, that creates new life, that multiplies. But there's also something about the kingdom that tears things down, you know, <laughs> that tears down things that needs torn down, that exalt itself against God and his ways. The kingdom tears those things down. We feel like over the last few years at the Gospel Tab uh, that God has been tearing things down in us about what we think leadership is, about how we think the church should work. And um, that's been exciting for us to enter into. And by the way, it's really released us to read our Bibles and to dare to believe that it's true. Um, so many of these values, whether it's our emphasis on healing or multiplying mission or this with release, really, it's just us saying we're gonna dare to believe that what we read in our Bibles is actually real and that we can actually see these things manifest in our relationships and on mission with each other. It's, it's really been for us a journey in taking our Bibles more seriously and saying that our experience, if our experience is lacking from the things that the scriptures say, then we need to uphold the scriptures and not our experience, right? Just because we haven't experienced it doesn't mean that it's not what God wants, right? 
um, we're reading our Bibles and saying if it's in there, we're going to cling to it, right? And believe that this is real, that this is true, and elevate the scriptures above our experience or our lack of experience, all right? So Acts 13 um, comes at a point where Paul and Barnabas have been doing ministry in this ancient city of Antioch. You may remember Paul was this persecutor of Christians who had a radical encounter with Jesus, changed his life, um, and he ended up being the author of much of the New Testament and also traveling around the ancient world, um, you know, planting churches essentially. And Barnabas was one of his earliest advocates and then eventually ministry partners. And Acts 13 gives us a vision into what multiplying movement began to look like out of this city at Antioch, out of the believers there. Um, and it starts in prayer. That resonates with us, right? We've experienced this over and over again, that it's in our environments of encountering God's presence in prayer that God begins to, to speak to us about mission. So let's read Acts 13, verses 1 through 3. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. And scholars traditionally call the next section of the book of Acts Paul's first missionary journey. It's his first um, significant time traveling through the ancient world, going from city to city, um, and seeing miracles and people come to faith in Jesus and churches get planted. It comes out of this moment in Antioch. Now let's just look at a few things in this passage. Uh, verse 1, now at the church in Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. These are two particular gifts in the church, prophets and teachers, who especially help us to hear the Lord. Teachers help us to hear the voice of the Lord in the scriptures. Um, God has given them a burden for the scriptures and for accuracy to the scriptures. I appreciate teachers because they make sure that we are in submission to the scriptures um, and that we do not go outside of the bounds of scriptures. I appreciate this gift. And the more our movement grows and the more dispersed it becomes, the more I'm grateful for this gift. Um, it's a gift that's needed. So there's teachers, people who are inclined to hear the word of the Lord in the scriptures. We all hear the word of the Lord in the scriptures. Every time you read your Bible, you're hearing the word of the Lord. Um, but these are people who are gifted at opening the scriptures to us and helping us hear what God is saying. But there's also prophets present. And prophets are people who have a tendency to hear the voice of the Lord by the Spirit. Um, and by the way, if, if it's really from the Spirit, and the Spirit wrote the scriptures... Um, prophetic words won't contradict the scriptures, right? We're always looking for prophetic words and the scriptures to line up, right? Um, for these things to confirm each other. Um, but prophets are people who are often given to worship and prayer and fasting, often have dreams in the middle of the night or receive prophetic words in different ways. We have many of these folks in our network, in our church as well. It's one of the ways that we hear the Lord and I love it when people who hear the Spirit of God and people who hear the Word of God come together to discern what God is saying. And that's what happens in Acts 13. So these prophets and teachers get together. They're fasting. They're praying. And it says that the Spirit spoke to them. Now, just to give you a picture of that, how did that happen? Was there an audible voice? That could have happened. They could have all been in worship and prayer and there was an audible voice. But I think if we take into account what typically happens in the rest of the New Testament, we can imagine this gathering to be much like what we experience here in many of our prayer and worship gatherings. 
They're worshiping and praying and gifts began to manifest in the room. Maybe someone has a prophetic word. Maybe someone quotes a scripture, begins to read from the scripture. Maybe someone has a tongue and speaks in a tongue and there's an interpretation. Any of these things could happen in that kind of environment of prayer and fasting. And by the end of it, the group together feels like this is what the Spirit of God is saying. Set apart for me, Paul and Barnabas, to the work to which I've called them. And they feel like they've reached some particular tangible direction coming out of this prayer meeting. And so they end up laying hands on them and sending them off, all right? Now, um, here's what I want to say out of this passage today about what it means to be a ministry culture of release. You guys are modeling, I feel like I'm preaching to the choir because you're releasing me this week. You're doing such a good job at this. But, um, but this is what's been on my mind. Ministry cultures of release, this is my main point today, and we see it in Acts 13. Ministry cultures of release are ministry cultures of mutual submission. Ministry cultures of release are ministry cultures of mutual submission. Um, Now, before I get into what I mean by that, let me say just a word about what a ministry culture of release is not. I think it's obvious from the value that I read at the beginning of this sermon, that we do not believe that culture, ministry cultures of release, where we're releasing people in ministries to the thing that God has called them to, where we're just kind of chasing God in the world and the callings that he's given people and following him you know, uh, into those places. Um, that cannot be a culture of control. Um, and I'm sure we don't do this perfectly, but man, we really try to resist around here um, a ministry culture of control. Um, because when it becomes a ministry culture of control, we end up really putting out the flame that God is lighting you know, among a group of people. Um, when I have spent time in other places in the world with these rapidly multiplying church planning movements, um, I, have, I would never spend time with those leaders. I was in Nepal, you know, 60 years ago. There wasn't one known Christian in Nepal. Um, and now it's one of the fastest growing churches um, in the world, largely being led by Nepalese believers who are in their 20s. It's been these young adults are coming to Christ left and right. And uh, when I spent time with those leaders and got to be in rooms with them praying in, in Nepal and Kathmandu, um, I did not get a sense that these were people who were interested in controlling what God was doing, right? Um, it, was, it was out of control in many ways, you know? They were finding out after the fact that people had come to Christ. They were finding out after the fact that a miracle had happened in this village. And they were just doing their best to put themselves in a posture to serve that and release it. So it, control cannot be what we lean. That's what the Gentiles do. The Gentiles lord it over you, not so with you. So for us, we can't put ourselves in a place of control. Jesus is head of his church. But I also want to say this. The ministry cultures of release, on the other hand, are also not ministry cultures of radical individualism. Um, A culture of release is not a culture of radical individualism. Um, I think I talked about this a few weeks ago, but we do live in a society that is the most individualistic. The United States of America is the most individualistic society out of any culture on the earth. When sociologists measure this in cultures, uh, we are by far, more than any other nation on earth, the most individualistic. 
And if we're not aware of that, we read our Bibles through that lens and we, we, we will misinterpret things um, because we're reading it through this lens that puts all of the emphasis on the individual and their power and their rights and what they want to do. It's not that all of that is wrong, but by itself it's wrong. And if we read the scriptures that way, then we're going to miss some things. Well, here's where we are in our cultural moment, I believe, in the United States. After, after we've always been an individualistic nation, but from a few decades ago forward, um, it's the most individualistic era in the history of a very individualistic nation. Um, and now, where does that leave people? It leaves people without meaningful connection. It leaves people not rooted in stories. It leaves people free of commitments and covenants, but very lonely, right? And so it leaves people uh, looking for community, right? Now, there's an incredible gospel opportunity in this. Um, but I said a few weeks ago, what we're seeing now is this increased tribalism happening in our culture, the formation of these tribes. In and of itself, that's not wrong. It's okay to have common interests with people. It's okay to gather around, you know, a certain way of being or a certain uh, experience or, a cer or something you like. But the dangerous thing we're seeing in our culture is the formation of tribes, not just around what you like, but around who your enemy is, right? So you're in my tribe. You might have nothing else, you know, to do with me, but we can be in the same tribe if we have the same enemies, right? If we have the same political enemy, if we don't like that kind of person, if we whatever. And that is, that's tribalism. It starts to form conflict between groups of people. I think you can feel that happening in our culture. Um, but what a missional moment, because God, since the beginning, since Acts 13 and before, has been sending uh, his people to tribes, right? And I want to tell you, to whatever tribe he's called you to, uh, you can view different groups of people uh, different places in society as little tribes, whatever tribe he's called you to, um, you, are, you have permission to love that tribe and to ask the gospel questions. What is God doing among this people? How, what is the bad news for this people? What is God doing next among these people? To ask those questions, being like missionaries um, among that tribe. And I don't know a missionary who doesn't love the tribe in a special way, the tribe of people that, that God has sent them to. I'm aware which tribes I've been particularly sent to, and I love them. You know what I mean? With a special love. I'll defend them. Don't say anything bad about my people. You know what I mean? Like that I've been sent to. And yet, so you, you can feel that way too. And yet, we have to remember that we're part of a kingdom, right? And that that kingdom supersedes all of those tribes. So my allegiance ultimately is to the kingdom of God and not to the particular tribe, right? Um, even if I've been called to that place, okay? So we live in this culture of radical individualism. So when we talk about release, this is my concern. We cannot confuse what I'm saying about release as this attitude of ra radical individualism that I can just do whatever I want. I have no commitments, no attachments to other people. It doesn't matter what I do so long as it's not hurting anybody. All of these things that our culture preaches to us about individualism are not found in the scriptures. So whatever we mean about release, it can't mean radical individualism. So here's how I want to frame this for you out of Acts 13. I think to say that a ministry culture of release is a ministry of cultural mutual submission means a few things. First of all, it does mean, and this is the part of individualism that hits on some truth in our society, it does mean that I am responsible. Um, 
And I think this is kind of unusual for ministry cultures because when the ministry culture, say, of a church is that it's the pastor's job or the elder's job to do all the stuff, right? To preach and teach the word of God, to lead people to Jesus, to pray. I know of church cultures where that's the expectation, right? Is that, that there's an elite class of disciples that, that are called pastors and elders who do all of that stuff. Well, that's not our ministry culture, is it? <laughs> the gospel tab. Um, and that's very freeing, very empowering. But I also want to tell you, I've had folks like, you know, become part of our church, and they're kind of talking about how controlling the environment was that they came from. There's all different ways that environments can be controlling. It doesn't necessarily even mean it was a mean environment, but it can be a controlling environment. Um, and, you know, they'll talk about, I just came from this controlling place. It feels so good to be in this environment where I'm empowered and released. I always want to follow that by saying, okay, but you know that part of what that means is that you are responsible, right? Um, it means that you are responsible to grow. You are responsible to seek Jesus. You, and boy, we want to be with you. We want to serve you. That's our culture is serving that. But it's your responsibility to hear the Lord and respond on mission. It's your responsibility to get trained in what you need to get trained in, you know, as we offer those trainings so that you can minister in the way that God has called you. The, because we don't believe in an elite class of disciples on mission, it means that we are all responsible, right, before God. Um, and that is very empowering. It can also feel scary. And sometimes I think for people it's been too much. It feels safer to be in a place where the pastor does everything for you, right? Um, even I've met people, guys, over the years in ministry, they just want the pastor to have all the answers for them. You hear what I mean? On the hard stuff. And if you've been around us, you know, I, I will hold out the counsel of the word of God to you all day. I'm not ashamed to do that. But there are some things I just will tell you, you got to hear the spirit. You know, <laughs> like you got you to read the word of God. You got to hear where he's leading you. I can't make these decisions for you. You have to hear what God is saying and respond. And so many times God speaks something to you that I never would have thought of on my own. And I get to serve you then in the thing that God is saying to you. So it does mean that I am responsible. It also means this, though, that we are a listening community. If a ministry culture of release is a ministry culture of mutual submission, it means that we are a listening community. So notice in Acts 13, um, there are individuals present in that story. Not only Paul and Barnabas, but the pastors, I'm sorry, the prophets and teachers who are referenced in that passage are referenced by name. There are individuals who have a relationship with God, who are able to hear from God, who are responsible before God to hear what God is saying and to respond. And yet, what I see in Acts 13 is a group of people who has learned to listen to the voice of the Lord together. Um, once a year, the Western PA District of the Christian Missionary Alliance, of which we're a part, um, gets together, the pastors and licensed workers will get together for a weekend of prayer and refreshing and and a few years ago, uh, one, of, one of my favorite speakers in all these years, favorite author of mine, came to speak and preach. Her name was uh, Ruth Haley Barton. She writes some great books, highly recommend her books. Um, but she came and, and preached, and um, she was basically talking to us about how every group of elders or leadership team at a church ought to fundamentally be a listening community, hearing what God is saying, asking, what's next, God?, following what it is that he's doing. What, what these groups should not be 
is people coming together and just throwing out their best ideas, their worldly expertise, their... What we need to value is the voice of the Lord in our midst. And God, by his spirit and his gifts and his fruit, has given us the resources in the word so that we can hear the word of God together, right? I remember in that room, there were just pastors standing up saying, our elder meetings have never looked like this. We get together and throw out our ideas. We throw out our business expertise, Um, but we never get together and ask, God, what are you saying to us? And what are we going to do next? Friends, I want to tell you, and this really precedes me, um, in all the years that I've been part of the Gospel Tab, um, we begin our meetings with these long, extended times of worship and prayer. There are some meetings where we don't even get to any business because we're just hearing what God is saying, you know, in the room. And we love to say this at the Gospel Tab, uh, that we hear God better together, right? Um, and this is what some of pushes back against that individualism. Um, I meet people who claim to hear God and they're not in submission to anything. They're not in submission to the word of God. They're not in submission to each other in relationships. And I'm gonna tell you, it's not that God can't be speaking through that person. He speaks through all kinds of crazy things in people, you know? So he could be speaking through that person. Um, but there is something in me that can't trust a prophetic voice that is not in submission to the word of God and to relationship, right? So if God is stirring something in you prophetically, if you're starting to have dreams and visions and you're starting to hear the Lord in new ways, I love, I was with a friend not too long ago. In the middle of the night, he had a dream and Jesus touched him in this dream. This happened to someone in our church a few weeks ago. Uh, Jesus touched him in this dream. He woke up from that dream and he's been hearing all this stuff um, about people. There's this prophetic gift forming in him. I love that. And if that's you, I love that that's happening. But the best thing you can do is bring that gift in submission to relationship with other people. Bring it in submission to the word of God. And you're going to see that God is going to take that gift and really use it um, for other people. So we are a listening community, which is part of what it means to be in submission to one another. So notice how Paul and Barnabas are in submission to what God is saying through this group of people. It's not just me, the Holy Spirit, and my Bible. It's me, the Holy Spirit, the Bible, and the community of people that he's put me in. When we position ourselves that way, we're able to hear God better together. And lastly, a ministry culture of release that's a ministry culture of mutual submission, means that I'm responsible, means I'm a listening community, and lastly, it means this, that we actually do submit to one another, and this is how I'm going to end. Do you see the mutual submission that's happening? By the way, uh, in Acts 13, by the way, this is what we're commanded to do in the New Testament. Ephesians tells us um, that in all of our relationships, we should submit to one another out of reverence for Christ that we should submit to one another of reverence for Christ. Talking about not taking our Bible seriously, can I just tell you something that grieves me? Not that long ago, I was talking with someone who I very much respect that has been in ministry probably twice as long as I've been in ministry. And they quoted that verse out of Ephesians, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And they said, you know, I've always wanted to see that, but I've never seen it. I've never seen a group of people actually act that way. Uh, What I've seen is hierarchy and control, you know, but I've never seen mutual submission. I've never been part. I bet that's true for large sections of the church. Um, Some of these verses don't, it's a dangerous place to be in with the word of God. They don't seem real to us because we haven't experienced them, right? 
Um, but this is how God designed it to be, for us to be in mutual submission. So look how this plays out in Acts 13. Paul and Barnabas are in submission to the relationships that, that are around them. Um, okay, this is what God is saying. You're sending us out. We're going to go. And this group of people is in submission to what God is doing in Paul and Barnabas' life. Look at what's in our, in our value statement, that we send away our best. I assure you that Antioch in this moment is sending away two of their best. They're sending away Paul and Barnabas to the thing that God has called them to. It is going to cost the church in Antioch. These folks have been serving the church in Antioch, Paul and Barnabas, for, for now a, a lengthy amount of time, and they are sending them away. Why? They're able to submit to what God is doing in each other's lives, to the voice of God in each other, because ultimately there's submission to Jesus in the room, right? They're in submission to what the Spirit of God is saying. Jesus is head of his church. This is how we say it in our value statement, how it says it in Colossians. Jesus is head of his church, and our goal is not to set up systems of control, but to set up listening systems, right? They can hear what God is saying and then release people to the thing that God has called them to. As I think about what my friend said to me, I think, man, I've been so blessed to be part of a ministry culture where people actually submit to each other mutually. Boy, it is rare in the world. I mean, this doesn't happen in the world. Um, but man, it should happen in the church, but it's too often, you know, rare in the church. But I experience this like every week, like every day in our network and with our church. Um, I see it happen in so many different ways. Number one, I hear God better because of all of you. Um, I'm going into my sabbatical, and honestly, the prophetic stuff is not my highest gifting. I trust what God is saying, I trust that gift in you as I'm able to trust your character and trust that it's in submission to the word of God. I trust that in you. There's hardly a Sunday morning that I don't walk in here without some of you sharing with me prophetic words and it's mutually submitted. You give it to me and I submit to what God is doing in these Sunday morning gatherings. But so many of you deliver those words so humbly and submit it to me and say, God, say, Joel, you can do whatever you want to do with this and the... There's, it's just like, we just come together with this stuff and say, what is Jesus saying, you know? It's Jesus we want in our gatherings, right? Um, it's his voice that we want to see. And so we submit to each other. We hear God better together. Um, sometimes mutual submission does surface these places of tension. Um, and here's why. Because sometimes it's hard to figure out how to love different groups of people all at once, <laughs> all right? Um, to be concerned for this group of people, but if we make decisions here, it's going to affect this group of people in these ways, and boy, the pandemic has like made this grow like a hundred times over, right? Because we're trying to love all these different groups of people with all of their different concerns. It can be really hard to love well, right? When people have different concerns, different pains, different hurts, right? And so sometimes, I don't mean to say that this is easy all the time, sometimes God is speaking something to one person and speaking something to another person and attention develops. It's like, but wait a second, if we do this, we're gonna, this is gonna happen over here. If we do this, this is gonna happen over here. And how are we gonna care for all these people one thing I've learned is that if we really believe that mutual submission is possible because the Bible tells us so, then the best thing to do is to lean into those tensions, to sit with it together, to fast, to pray, 
to talk it out, to stay in relationship with each other. And ultimately, many times, it's in those places of tension where new creative things, often the spirit actually births the next thing that he's doing out of those tense conversations and creates a whole new thing that we hadn't even thought of before. And so a culture of release doesn't mean that we don't care about how other people feel. Are you tracking what I'm saying? It doesn't mean that we ignore the concerns of another group of people. It doesn't mean that because I heard from God, I can just, you know, ignore you or your needs. Instead, because love is the law that must be fulfilled, it means that we lean into that together and try to hear his voice, right? And I think this is the last thing I'm going to say. Very practically speaking, one way we've made this work over the years is we submit to each other in each other's spaces, um, I love this about the Gospel Tab. If you see the way we lead or the way we lead in our network, we are, watch the leaders. We are often submitting to each other in each other's spaces. Um, Steve, this is one of my favorite things about my relationship with Steve Rossi. There are environments where Steve has been charged to lead. And I submit to him in those places. Um, it doesn't, I don't know, we've never really like written up an org chart. Maybe we should. I don't know, it probably wouldn't work very well for us. Um, <laughs> it's probably impossible. Um, but, but even if, whatever the org chart showed, if he's been tasked by the Lord, if we've heard from the Lord together that he's to lead this thing, I'm gonna submit to him in that space, even if it means I would do it differently. And over the years, Steve has submitted to me, even if it means I would do it differently. Many of you have submitted to me. It's been my joy to submit to you in each other's spaces. This is the story I'm gonna end with, and I know I've preached long. I gotta to get to the other service. Um, uh, I, man, God spoke to me so strongly about this release value a few years ago. John Jordan and I were in Tampa visiting a sister network of ours where God is moving in a very similar way in Tampa, Florida. Um, I'm gonna to get to see them, um, hopefully in the next few months. Um, but I was in, in Tampa with these folks, and they wanted us to see a move of God that was happening on the University of South Florida's campus through an InterVarsity fellowship gathering there. So we met these students, and they said, hey, do you want to participate with us in evangelism for the day? And we were like, sure, we'll jump in and you know, go around and tell people about Jesus on campus, wherever, pray for people. Well, anyway, they told us, they then told us how they did it. And they had just a whole method. They had little cards we'd walk around and use and ways that we would engage people. And what they shared with us is not how John and I do it in Aliquippa. Um, as a matter of fact, I liked our way better. Um, and I was certain that our way was more effective and all of this. And so anyway, they shared this with us and we listened. And then I went off and did my own thing, you know, and engaged people how I would engage them around here and shared the gospel how I would share the gospel around here. Like, you know, it's, it's what we do. And then we came back and sat together and debriefed. And when we got to the part where I was supposed to debrief, I kind of said, well, I did it a little differently, X, Y, and Z. And one of the leaders in the Tampa uh, network, our sister network down there, just said, you didn't submit to them. Like, he said it in front of everybody, too. And I, I love that about our ministry environment here, too. We're an honest group of people. But he said, you didn't submit to them. This isn't your ministry, you know? Like, they asked you to do it this way. And maybe in your space, you can do it another way, but they asked you to do it this way. And, and even if you would do it differently, one of the values we have is submitting to each other in each other's spaces. It's some of how God moves, right? And so it means that in our network, you may end up in a prayer meeting where you would lead it differently 
but it's your joy to submit to someone else's leadership. You might do evangelism differently. It's your joy to submit to it. You might run that program differently. It's your joy to submit to them in that space. Because when we keep submitting to each other, it's Jesus who gets the attention and the credit, not someone's method, not someone's personality. Not When we don't submit to each other, we make it so that some people who are more skilled than other people end up being the only ones who can do things, right? And nothing is going to kill multiplying movement than that. Uh, we want everyone to be able to do the thing that God's called them to do, even if you don't do it as good as the next person, right? We just want to release you to do it. All right.